You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we are kicking off a new series called uh, Plan A, and uh, I'll explain a little bit what that's all about, but throughout this month, we're going to be looking at what is the, the purpose role of the church and what is our relationship to the church? Um, I grew up in the church. Some of you, maybe the church is something that's new to you. You haven't uh, grown up in the church or been around church much. Some of you, you've been in church as long as you can remember. Uh, as soon as I was born, I was in church. I, I don't remember a time uh, not being in the church. In fact, in 2020, COVID, uh, that Easter, we streamed our service because we couldn't gather. And that was the first Easter in my entire life. I wasn't in church. Uh, it was weird. It was odd. But um, I, I'm, so I'm just being transparent here. I am about as churched as church can be. And, and maybe if, if you're like new to church, I want to give you a little insight uh, into something. Um, there's this book growing up in church that is seen as very sacred. It has a, it's held in very high regard. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that is so important uh, to a lot of people that it has actually caused church splits, churches to divide. Over hundreds of years, uh, this one book has brought more division. And uh, it's a book that has such value and worth. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm referring to this book. I hold my hand. It's a hymnal. Hymnal, okay? Some of you are like, what is a hymnal? I don't even know what that is. Uh, let me explain. And for those of you who have been in church, you immediately know what a hymnal is because you're used to it. This is what we do in church. Uh, but a hymnal is really a book that contains worship songs that we sing. Okay, and uh, some of these worship songs were written hundreds of years ago. Some of the greats, like "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," "Come Thou Fount," uh, of course, "Amazing Grace." These are songs that have been sung for generations. Some some hymnals will have songs that are maybe 10, 20 years old. But it, but it's a book that contains songs, music, worship that we sing. Okay, and and in and in a lot of church circles, they'll have a hymnal sitting in the pew or the seat in front of them, and and when it's time for worship, they open it up and they sing to that. Now, I grew up in church, okay, um, and I remember singing the, the, from the hymnal, and, and I'm not talking about the songs in the hymnal, there's some amazing songs with some rich theology and uh, such good music, but um, some of you who aren't familiar with this think, might think, like, that's kind of weird. Why would you pay all the money to print words in a book that you can just put on a screen? And this is the conundrum, isn't it? Um, there are things in the church that we sometimes can be willing to die on that hill. Uh, as a pastor now, as a pastor's kid growing up, I have watched a lot of arguments, debates over this little book we call a hymnal. And I'm not here to debate the validity of uh, hymnals or hymns or, or those songs. What I'm talking about is there are things in the church, in this thing we call the church, that we sometimes are, are, are hesitant to give up. And not just in the church. There are things in our lives. There are little hymnals in our lives where we're like, God, um, I want to serve you. I want all you have for me. But, 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 I'm going to hold on to this one little thing because it's familiar, it's comfortable, it's kind of like mine. I'll give you everything else. I'll give you like 97% of me. But this little 3%, can I just hold on to that because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel comfortable. All of it, but just this little part. And, and, and the, the, the reality is for the church as a, uh, generally, and, and then for us as followers of Jesus, he wants all of us. 
He, he doesn't want us to hold on to our traditions just for the sake of the tradition. He doesn't want us to hold on to our little pet things just because they make us feel better. He wants all of us. And, and this is the challenge of being a church. This is the challenge of being a follower of Jesus. How do we change? How do we continue to keep ourselves soft and shapeable where God can mold us and shape us into the men and the women he wants us to be, into, into the church. You know, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. It uses this analogy that, that God so deeply loves this idea of the church. And, and I know the church has gotten a bad rap, the institution of the church. But, but the idea of the church for 2,000 years is something that, that God deeply loves. But how do we deal with change? How, how do we deal with the hymnals in our lives? How do we deal with the hymnals in, in, in the church? Not just, not specifically, but how do we deal with the things that we put as a higher priority than God himself? How, how do we deal with that kind of change? And what I want to do is rewind back to the first century because sometimes we forget how much change happened in a very short period of time for early believers, for the early church. Imagine, imagine yourself being a follower of Jesus in the first century. The change and transformation you would experience in such a short period of time would have been incredibly alarming. You, you most likely would have grown up Jewish, which meant your religious experience was primarily centered around worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, then, then as you begin to follow this Jewish rabbi named Jesus, he would start to talk about this idea that he was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And he would say some pretty wild things. We don't think them, that they're wild today, but in that time period, they were pretty wild things. Things, things like this in, uh, recorded in Matthew chapter five. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, we think like, okay, whatever. The law for, these, for Jewish people was the beginning and the end. It was everything, and he's talking about fulfilling it. Like, wow. Like, this was a pretty radical statement to say, or even here for a first century Jewish person. Then, in a matter of just about 50 or 60 days, what seemed radical would all of a sudden become revolutionary. These followers of Jesus that had been used to, 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 uh, uh, used to, to the practices, the traditions of Judaism would find themselves in a world that was flipped upside down. In a world that they almost couldn't connect to or relate to. After Jesus was resurrected and then ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit would fill these followers and soon what we know today as the church would explode onto the scene. They would go from only 120 followers to over 3,000 in one day. Like incredible growth, an explosion of growth. Now that can sound really, really exciting, but this ushered in some, some incredibly difficult changes that uh, those connected to the Jewish, this Jewish sect known as the Way, which would eventually be known as Christians, would experience. Uh, it, it wasn't just that the, their numbers were growing, which is cool and all, but they would no longer see the temple as the center of their worship. But instead, now they would gather in homes to worship together. That's huge. Now, on top of that, they were empowered with authority to continue the ministry that Jesus had started. Jesus said to them, you will do even greater things than these. Like, you see the things that I'm doing, the miracles, the supernatural things. You're gonna do even greater things. Like, God gave them that authority. 
So from the teachings, uh, teaching the words of Jesus to exercising faith in Jesus to eventually taking this message beyond the borders of Israel, which Jesus didn't, didn't do himself, to eventually, to eventually seeing themselves in a very different light. See, these believers were no longer dependent on a priest who resided in a temple, but they were living out of faith where they saw themselves as priests and their bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. This was revolutionary. In our 21st century context, we miss how different and jarring this had to have been for these early believers. It wasn't just that that their belief system had shifted. Their entire practice of faith was now different. And over these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this amazing plan that God unfolded in the first century, and he continues to unfold today. It's, it's his ultimate plan to transform the world. And this is what we're calling plan A. We're going to talk about the church's role, the church's calling toward the, the broken and flawed next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about the tradition and the innovation And then we're going to close out our Calvary Cares Commitment Sunday, the here and the there that God hasn't just called us locally, but also globally. You see, God's plan A to see the world impacted, transformed and redeemed in the first century was the church. And 2,000 years later, it's still the church with all the changes that have happened in our world. His plan still is the church. And what's encouraging and challenging all at the same time is that there is no plan B. The church is still his primary vehicle to fulfill his mission, the mission he's given us. So the question is, what is that mission? It's it's one of the only statements that Jesus said that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. If you're not familiar with the Gospels, those are the first four books of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This mission, this statement of Jesus is recorded in all four of those books, plus the book of Acts, which is the fifth book of the New Testament. And and here's the basic version of what Jesus said. It's recorded in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We refer to this as the great commission. And this same mission has been the guide for believers for over 2,000 years. But fast forward to modern times, to today, 2024. In In the four years that led up to the pandemic, From 2016 to 2019, an average of 34% of U.S. adults said they attended a church. So in those four years, the average polling uh, surveys said 34% of Americans attended a church, a synagogue, a mosque, or a temple in the previous seven days. So 34% had just attended a religious service of some sort in the previous seven days. From 2020 to 2023, that 34% dropped to 30%. 30%. The recent levels of church attendance are around 10 percentage points lower than what Gallup had measured in 2012 and prior. On top of the, this decline in church attendance, Pew Research, their 2023 polling revealed that 28% of U.S. adults are religiously unaffiliated, describe themselves as atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. What does that mean? That means that close to 30% of US adults would say we're non-religious. A lot of researchers would call them the nuns, that, that they nothing in particular, that, that we're non-religious. So 30% of people are going to church of some sort, 
30% of people have absolutely no religious affiliation today. There is no doubt, there is no doubt that uh, the world is changing rapidly and the church in America has struggled to keep up with the change. In fact, the, the, the nuns, 30, 28%, just in 2016, that number was only 16%. In eight years, that number has almost doubled. Like, there's no questioning the church followers of Jesus aren't in a great spot in America right now. Uh, we are watching the church decline quickly and steeply. And it's a more rapid decline with a lower level of engagement than really at almost any other time in American history. The church has become seemingly irrelevant to the world around it. And it begs the question, what do we do about this? What do we do? If this is God's plan A, what are we supposed to do with the disappointing place we found ourselves in society? Does, does something need to change? And if so, what needs to change? Because the harsh reality is if something doesn't change, the church is gonna to continue to diminish its impact on our world. On a more personal level, not only have churches seemed to lose relevance in our world, but so have followers of Jesus. To be a Christian or a follower of Jesus in today's society is almost a taboo thing. Like it's something that we try to hide. We don't want everyone to know because they're gonna you know, stereotype us and think there's something wrong with us. How do we handle that personally? Do we just hide the fact that we follow Jesus or is there something else we can do? Like, are, are there hymnals in our lives that we need to sacrifice to lay down? Are there traditions that as a church we need to sacrifice and lay down? Uh, these are all important questions that I think we should be asking. This isn't, you know, an encouraging thing to hear, but, but there's, this is things that we wanna be here as a church for the long haul. We aren't here to just be a flash in the pan that we can just do something for a few years and then disappear. We wanna make a difference because we have this mission. We have this mission that we've been given, a 2,000-year-old ancient mission to share the gospel, the love of Jesus with a world that needs it. So what do we do? And, and this is kind of the question we want to look at throughout this month is what is the church exactly and what are we ultimately here to do? And, and which part of this plan A that God has given us is unchanging, never changing, and which part should be more fluid and, and always changing? And, and to, to, to understand this better, I want to go back to the first century. Uh, following the ascension of Jesus in, into heaven and, and the empowerment that came through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' disciples dispersed across the globe, taking the gospel with them. As a result, churches began to pop up all over the world. In every corner of the globe, the church started to, to show up. Jesus' words recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, were becoming a reality. He said this, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And he gives this outline. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you might not be familiar with this, but the book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, this verse, Acts 1.8, is like a table of contents for the rest of the book. And, and you can walk through the whole book, and it follows this order. And from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the gospel impacts Jerusalem. From Acts chapter 8, verse 4 to Acts chapter 12, verse 25, the gospel impacts Judea and Samaria. And then from Acts chapter 13, verse one, to Acts chapter 28, verse 31, which is the end of the book of Acts, the gospel impacts the ends of the earth. And it follows that table of contents from Acts chapter one, verse eight. And when you get to the end of the book of Acts, 
this record of the establishment of the church, it ends in this like really abrupt, almost unfinished way. Here's, here's what it says in Acts chapter 28, starting verse 28. It says, therefore, I, went, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And I'm thankful for that verse because many of us are Gentiles here, so to speak. We're not Jewish. We're not following Jewish practices and the gospel to impact the Gentiles. That's why we're here today. Verse 30 uh, says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then it just stops. Like, it's like, okay, I was really good. Like, if you're reading the book of Acts and, and, and you're reading this, you're like, man, this is awesome. I'm ready to find out, like, what's gonna happen next? There is no next. Like, it just stops. It's like, did someone rip that page out? Like, what happened? Like, why did the Bible, why did, why did the book of Acts just stop? Like, there was this amazing uh, story as the, the gospel starts with 120 people and the church explodes and there's 3,000 and it says the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. And like, this amazing journey, 28 chapters packed in and then all of a sudden it just stops. Why does it just stop? Uh, one of the reasons I think is Luke was trying to send a message. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Luke was sending a message. He was trying to explain something. And what he was trying to explain, I believe, is that we are continuing the story. 2,000 years later, the story that was started in the first century is still being written. The story doesn't have an ending because it, it's not over. Like, we're still writing that story 2,000 years later. It, it, see, it, it leaves these loose ends because we're part of that story. 2,000 years, we are still pursuing the same mission we're writing the same story. But the question is, are we doing it in the same way? Well, not, not really. You see, this brings us to the difference between our mission and our methods. Historically, the church has muddied the waters between these two ideas. The church has often acquainted our methods as a definitive and unchanging part of our mission. We put our church traditions or how we do church at the same level as our biblical mission or why we do church. This is why churches can have fights and debates over a hymnal. A hymnal is not scripture, it isn't God's word, it's words and songs written about scripture. And, and I love the hymns of the church. They're incredible and rich and I love getting to sing those. But the hymnal itself isn't like God's word. The Bible is the Bible, this is just extra, right? This is a tradition. And, and, and we sometimes muddy those waters. We muddy the waters. The reality is, in the past 2,000 years, it has been necessary for the church to constantly be changing its methods. This isn't just like a 2024 thing. For 2,000 years, the church has changed. We don't do church the same way the early church did. Why? Because we have electricity. And we have the internet. And we have this thing called heat. Aren't you thankful for heat? Right? Like, we have technology and developments, and many of you, I'm guessing, drove here today. This might, uh, like, astound you, but Jesus didn't have a 15-passenger van, and he drove around with his disciples. They walked. I don't know if any of you walked here today, but I'm guessing most of you didn't. We are in a different time period, which means that our methods are different. We take a different approach. Uh, this is what's been the case for the church for 2,000 years. We still pursue the same mission to seek and to save that which is lost, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, but how we do it has drastically changed. And honestly, it should continue to change. You see, what Jesus taught and what you read in the book of Acts 
is a record of what God did in the opening years of the church's existence. It is descriptive, uh, descriptive of what took place. Interestingly though, it is not prescriptive of how it took place. In other words, there are no passages in the book of Acts or the rest of the Bible that give us an outline of how a gathering of Jesus followers should go. Like, you open in prayer and you sing a few worship songs and someone gets up and preaches. Like, that outline doesn't exist in the Bible. Why? Because that, that, that's going to be changing. We aren't told what outreach is to do, what models to use for discipleship, or ways that we should better provide pastoral care. Scripture is amazingly absent from all of this because these are all things that are constantly changing. Just look at how the church changed in the 20th century, from the beginning of the 1900s to 2000. At the beginning of the 1900s, churches gathered believers that lived in close proximity to the church building and could easily get there and walk there. Uh, at that time, you know, electricity was in its infancy, transportation was limited, and people just walked to the church that was closest to them. As long as it was, you know, within walking distance, that's where they would go. Because of this, churches became places where on Sundays, people would spend most of the day. Do you want to spend most of the day, huh? We'll just, we're going to lock the doors, uh, we'll order some, you know, fried chicken, and we're going to hang out today. How's that sound? Like, that's what they did. Why? Because if you're going to walk there, you might as well stay. Like, if you made all the effort to walk to church, why turn around and go back? Spend the day. So that's what would happen. Uh, and then, then as electricity began, began more widely available and as automobiles became more common, pastors now all of a sudden had to be on their game a little bit more. Because now that family that walks to church because they live in the neighborhood next to the church, now they can drive to the church on the other side of town. And maybe, like, you've been, you know, kind of... Uh, not putting as much effort into your sermons or, or ministry as you should. Well, now, now they could go cross town. Yeah, so it changed how the church had to function. And, and as you progress through the 20th century, you come to the 1950s and 1960s, and interstates were being built, and megachurches were popping up at the crossroads of these interstates. And on top of that, you saw the continued growth of, of radio preachers and the beginning of what we now know as televangelists. And pastors and churches were no longer just competing with a church across town, but now you're being compared with TV evangelists like Oral Roberts or Billy Graham or Catherine Coleman and and. And man, what a challenge. On, on top of that, the 60s was a time of incredible transformation in our world, in our, in our nation. Civil rights, women's rights, so many things were happening. All of that impacted the church. Women were getting the right to, to, to lead and the opportunity to lead in the workforce. And they were expecting the same in the church, as they should. And in the, in the last couple decades, the impact of the internet, social media, other cultural trends have all affected how churches happen. Just think about this one thing. 30 years ago, to stream our services, for those watching online, like to stream our services like we do would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for the equipment, not to mention purchasing the television time. Like think about that. Now today, the large majority of churches stream their services, even if it's just with an iPhone or an iPad or something like that. Like a lot of churches do that. Like technology has changed the game. It's, it's a different world than we ever found ourselves in. And, and this isn't just about, man, how do we just continue to change? It's how do we recognize that we have this mission? We have this incredible mission. And this mission demands that we are aware of what's changing our society so we can communicate the gospel. All of these things have changed how we do church. And as followers of Jesus, we should continue to evaluate the trends of culture, the shifts in our world, 
the advances in technology to identify new ways to do church, new ways to show the love of Jesus to our world. This doesn't mean that everything should change, though. Our methods are fluid and ever-changing just as our world is, but our mission will always remain the same. And here's my promise to you as a church. We will never allow our tradition to become more important than our mission. We, we will never allow who we're called to reach to supersede who we're called to be. We will keep our ears to the ground, our eyes on our world, and be always looking for new ways, new approaches, and new avenues to fulfill the greatest mission any human being has ever been given, the mission of sharing this Jesus, this hope, to a world that so desperately needs it. But this isn't just, just about us as a church. It's also about you and me, because the Great Commission isn't simply a collective mission that we just give money to the church to accomplish. No, no, it's first and foremost a personal mission. <clears throat> in fact, Jesus shared the Great Commission with his disciples before the church even existed. You see, we, we, can, we can sometimes assume the responsibility of sharing Jesus with the world rests solely on the church collectively. But, but, but what has made the church so powerful and effective in transforming this world for the last 2,000 years hasn't been simply our collective efforts, but individuals willing to put skin on the gospel to, 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 to live it out in everyday life. That, that's what makes the gospel, that's what make, makes the movement and the kingdom of God so powerful. In, in our events, and our big gatherings, it's not that. But, but our willingness, rather our willingness to see that God has empowered us to be catalysts for change in our world every day of the week, not just on Sundays. You aren't just a church attender. You don't just go to religious services. No, the Bible says that you are a sent one. A sent one. This is what Jesus said in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter nine. It says in verse 35, Jesus went throughout, through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Man, I love this verse. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, listen to this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Man, this is the prayer he's praying. He said in verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You are the answer to that prayer. You are a sent one. You are one that has been sent out into the world. God has placed you where he has, not to just take up space in this world, not to just survive and make it through. You have been sent into the world to transform the world with the gospel of Jesus. The effectiveness of this thing that we call the church has always been the commitment of those who are part of the church to see their world as their mission field. And while our methods are ever-changing, our mission will always remain the same. Just as the disciples were sent into this world to be carriers of the gospel, conduits of God's power, so are we today in 2024. Jesus said it well in Matthew's gospel as the worship team comes today. Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verse 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, listen to this. This is our command, our challenge. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Glorify your Father in heaven. And while it may not be popular to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus in today's culture, and while the trend of being part of the church is moving in the wrong direction, I don't think 
we were ever called to do easy things. I believe that we were called to lay down, to surrender the tradition sometimes, to get in our way of fulfilling what Jesus has called us to, to be able to put aside our little pet things in our lives and our hearts that we hold on to that keep us from following Jesus. God hasn't called us to do the easy things. He's called us to do the difficult things. My, my hope is, is that, we, that, that being part of this church or the church more broadly doesn't mean that you do the things that everyone else is simply doing, but that you are willing to sometimes do the uncomfortable things, to get down in the mud with the downtrodden and the forgotten, to be willing to go against the trends of what is popular or isn't popular, and pursue this timeless, ancient mission that we have been given, a mission that doesn't call us to force a title onto people where we're just like, you're now a Christian. No, no, we are here to share the story of what God has done in our lives. And that story isn't simply our story. It is part of a bigger story of redemption that God has been writing for thousands of years. That story has had different chapters, some where the church has been more or less effective, some chapters where the church has been more or less aligned with this great mission we've been given. But through it all, the message, the method has remained the same. God has called us to this mission, this mission to share the love of Jesus, unchanging mission. God is calling us to be a church, to be followers of Jesus that are ready to adapt, adjust, pivot, just as our world does, but always be working toward that same goal, to take this life-changing, world-changing, culture-shifting message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, and, and that sounds awesome. And we're like, man, Africa needs Jesus. South America needs Jesus. China needs Jesus. Like, we want it. But it starts with your world, your street, your workplace, your school. And, and my question to you today, as we prepare to close, what is your hymnal? Like, what is that thing that you're ready to fight for that isn't part of that mission? What is that thing that you hold, what is that little pet area of your life, of your heart, that you've allowed your identity to be built on? I know, God, I come to church every week, man, I'm, I'm doing my best, but I still like this stuff. I still, I know it's not good for me or my marriage or my family, I still like to drink a little bit. I, I still like to dabble in that. I like to keep a little of my old life, you know, there, just so, so I don't feel like I'm a different person. I don't want to like ruin your parade here, but, but Paul wrote that like when you're in Christ, you're a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. Not, not like some of the old is gone. We'll keep a little bit around just so we don't forget it. And most of the new, most of it's new. No, no, all of it, new creation. What are the hymnals in your life that you need to surrender to lay down so that you can pursue this mission? to seek and to save that which is lost. You might be like, I'm not a pastor. Man, get, get off my back. I'm not a pastor, I'm not a theologian. I didn't go to Bible college or I didn't go to seminary. I don't, you don't have to. That's what's amazing about the gospel. None of the disciples went to seminary. They didn't have master's degrees. They didn't have all of the, the, the papers hanging on the wall. They didn't have all of that because it's not about the degrees. It's about your willingness to share the story. And if you have lived long enough, you have a story. How is God wanting you to share your story with a world that needs it? I know being a follower of Jesus, a church, 
is become increasingly irrelevant. But can I tell you something that will always be relevant, always be important, is your story. It will never change. And we need to be willing as a church to lay down the hymnals, the traditions that might supersede the mission. But personally, we need to be willing to step out and be a little uncomfortable. To surrender those areas, those things that were like, God, I'll do whatever you want except for that. I'm not saying God's calling you to do that, but can you surrender to him and trust him with all of your life? Why? Because it's not for our good. It's, it's for the sake of the world outside these walls. Before we go this morning, I wanna sing one final song, just a declaration, if you can stand with me. <clears throat> if you're new here to Calvary, give you uh, just a, 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 a kind of peek behind the curtain. We aren't here to just do church. We aren't here to just like go through the motions. Maybe you came to church because it's like, I just feel better about myself when I go to church or man, I just like the tradition of it because I grew up doing that or, or, or fill in the blank, whatever. We aren't okay with just doing church because what I read about in the early church was they weren't okay with just doing church. We are here with one purpose and it's a big vision, a big dream, a big goal. It's not my goal, it's God's. We're here to change the world. You might be like, that's a really broad statement. Well, it starts with your world. We're here to change your workplace. We're here to change your school. We're here to change your neighborhood. Yes, even that grumpy guy who like throws his grass clippings into your yard every week. Like we're here to change the world. We're not here to just go through the motions. And, and God asks us to give up these things that we hold on to, not for your benefit necessarily. It's for the benefit of those others. That for the sake of that world, he asks you to lay it down and surrender. Because that's what we're here for. Jesus did it for us. And he invites us to do it for others. So before we sing, let's just take a moment and pray and make this declaration this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you 2,000 years ago, you were willing to, to, to be nailed to that cross as we remembered in communion today, to give your life for us. Your word says that for the joy set before you, you endured the pain of the cross. And God, today, I pray you help us, reveal to us, Lord, what are the things that we need to set aside personally? to see the gospel more fully expressed to our neighbor, our coworker, to our classmate, to those we encounter. How can we more clearly share the story of the gospel with a world that desperately This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 